A FAM production for all things mattress. FAM.news. Welcome to Just Stories with BT, a show that brings you remarkable stories of success, comedy, failure, and redemption directly from the people who've shaped the landscape of our professional worlds. You'll laugh, you might cry, but most importantly, you'll be motivated to keep pushing to become a better version of you. Just Stories skips the cheesy 10-step processes and long acronyms and gives you just what you want, stories that truly matter and will impact your life. Meet your host, Brett Thornton, a father, retailer, speaker, motivator, and lover of storytelling. Your transformational listening starts now. All right, welcome back to another episode of Just Stories with BT, season two, focusing on female executives. I'm extremely excited today because I have an amazing guest, Christina Dyer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. This is awesome. Yes, I'm very excited about this episode. Um, we've I've had a lot of different people on the show, and so I have not had someone who kind of does what you do yet, which is great. So I'll get to learn a little bit about that. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But before we do that, I love to introduce my guests for them, right? So you don't have the pressure of saying, hey, what do I say about myself? How do I, how do I make myself you know, sound cool without being cocky? It's a whole issue that people go through. So I'm going to take that off your plate and I will, <laughs> do, I will introduce you. Uh, and then afterwards, you can tell me what I missed and fill in the gaps. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, everybody, listeners. This is Christina Dyer. So here we go. You ready? All right. So she was born in a very small town in Illinois. Uh, and she grew up in Wilmington, which has only 4,500 people. It's right off Route 66. Um, as a child, she grew up, she had a hobby of collecting stuffed animals. She had at one point up to 60. And my favorite part about this is that she had a rotating calendar of snuggle time so that no animals would be left off the list of not being able to snuggle, which I love. We're going to come back to that. Um, she grew up doing gymnastics. As she got into high school, she was into cheerleading, uh, leadership retreats. She also had to take the bus from 40 minutes to get to school. So, cause she lived in that really small town. Um, and as she grew up and, and got her license, I'm presuming she got her first job at the launching pad, which was literally like Think American Graffiti, old school, little Dairy Queen in a small town where everyone would hang out and park their trucks. So that's where she works, called the pad. Um, after that, she went away to college to Illinois State University, majoring in retail marketing. So right up my alley. Um, and outside of college, she got her first job at Neiman Marcus in Chicago. Um, eventually, that led her to move to California in 1988, where she eventually met her husband and got married in 1994 what is it 1996 um so she just celebrated her 25 year wedding anniversary so congratulations that's amazing um during that time she also got her master's at fullerton state university which is like right by our offices which is great um she has three sons who are now 17 20 and 21 so congrats you've, you've gotten them through the crazy times um uh, she started out in child protective services which is obviously a very difficult job she was getting a little burnt out she had an opportunity to go on Dan Rather's 48 Hours, uh, which is a show. Yeah, I grew up. I remember my parents watching it when I was growing up. And while on, after the show aired or when, when you were done filming, the producers came up and said, Christina, you're wasting your talent. You should be in front of the camera. You should be you're so charismatic. You should be doing this. And that kind of spurred her into thinking, maybe I should. 
She got married, went on a honeymoon, a backpacking trip around the world, came back and realized she wanted to start a family. So she's like, how can I work and have a family? So she, she started her own photography business, um, which she did for a long time. And that parlayed into a lot of other different jobs. Um, she became an executive studying critical human performance issues for different companies that led her to start to become the founder and CEO and start Noble Adventures uh, in 2008, which she still has today. Um, and she helps CEOs and executives and senior leadership align and drive people forward for success. And recently she partnered up with Hernani Alves, who's one of my close friends, who's an amazing, amazing business person. And so I'm really excited to talk about that as well. And here we are. And now in 2021, you're on Just Stories of BT podcast. Wow. <laughs> How did you? That's kind of amazing. <laughs> Thank I don't you know for that. that. That was a lot. You gave, you gave me like a lot so, of info. I was like um, trying to figure out how do I get this I all in there? But what, what did I miss? Um, the only thing that was off just a little bit was I started uh, my business in 2008 as Christina Dyer Consulting, doing consulting mm -hmm. for corporations. Noble Adventures wasn't birthed until really 2018. So oh, it's gotcha. still pretty, pretty new. Um, but I just felt like, you know, um, I needed, we needed something more transformational and mm -hmm. that combined all my loves, which is people, number one, uh, giving back and doing service and then um, having fun. And so Noble Adventures was kind of created around that. I mean, it's a longer story than that, but yeah. <laughs> yes, they always are. So real quick from the intro. So tell me, I want to learn more about this snuggle schedule thing. So was this like a chart on your wall? It was a chart. So I had a dresser that was one of those armoires, right? Yeah. The drawers below and then the armoire. And I just had so many stuffed animals. I still have my first stuffed animals sitting over there on my shelf. And his name was Bimbo. He's a little blue elephant. I got him when I was four. Wow. <laughs> so um, I just... I had a hard time like pushing them off the bed and letting them lay there and kind of stare at me. So I just created this chart and I thought, okay. And I would just kind of rotate and put two in bed with me every night and I would sit them up. And, you know, I just think it kind of reflects on um, my care about people and making sure that people feel um, that they matter and that they're necessary and that we all need connection. Yes. To be honest, I mean, that's kind of been my through line in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I had uh, my, my, she's going to hate me for saying this. Hopefully she doesn't listen. Well, hopefully she does listen and then she still hates me. But my sister, she had a glass dog collection mm -hmm. as a kid, yeah. these little glass dogs, right? And so it became this thing where, you know, my aunts and uncles and my grandma, and like when she was little, it was like, oh, she likes these little glass dogs. So they would buy them for, for like birthdays and stuff. So then eventually she, she aged out of like not wanting glass <laughs> dogs anymore, but it was like this thing. And so they just, she, but she didn't have the heart to tell people, right. you know, like, I don't like this anymore. And so she, yeah. she'd, she'd keep getting them for presents. And it, I, it, I would laugh so hard because I knew inside, like she hated it, but she yeah. would never say anything, you know? And so she had this giant collection and now we still, as adults, like I still make fun of her for it all the time, you know? <laughs> I'm always like, oh yeah, you know, talk about the glass yeah. dog collection. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, you know, I, I really want an iPod and they're giving me glass dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. there was one other thing that you, that you didn't mention in your intro, but I read about um, in your kind of bio on LinkedIn 
um, was this time that you worked with that foundation for Rwanda in like 2008. I wanted to hear more about that because we might have some connections in common. So what, how did that come about? What was that all about? So when I uh, stayed home with my kids, um, so you mentioned that I backpacked around the world for a year for my honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And we did that intentionally because I knew we were going to start a family. And I always had this intense wanderlust. And so we did that, right? Went to Africa, did all of that. But once I started a family, <clears throat> I, I well, when I started my family, I kind of started to long for the traveling and all that stuff again. And I had started the photography business um, so that I could stay home and raise my boys on my own. And um, I started to kind of, uh, I was watching an Oprah show with Anderson Cooper, la la la. It was about all these starving people in Niger. And I just broke down and sobbed and thought, what can I possibly do? Because Oprah had said, and there's no record of these people. There's no pictures of these people. Like they walk for 50 miles to get medical help. Their child dies and they have to bury him right there and then walk back to their village without their child. And there's no record. And so I thought, and here I am taking pictures at birth, three, six, nine, 12 months you know, and there's too many pictures. God, what can I do? And um, it kind of came into me to go there and take their pictures for them. And I thought, well, that is so weird. You know, they need water, not a photograph. So anyway, long story short, I did a search. One thing led to another. And then all of a sudden I got to this page that was these people that went to Rwanda, sold their wedding rings and went to Rwanda to help after meeting a refugee. And they were about 40 minutes from my home. I mean, I started on like the Gates Foundation and I end up right around the corner. Yeah. I picked up the phone, called the guy that runs the foundation. And I said, I want to help. And I don't know how. And he said, what do you do? Take pictures. And he said, send me some of your stuff. So I sent it and he called me back and said, will you come on our trip with us and take pictures? and record these families because the photographs were so are so important to them because Mm -hmm. so many people died in the genocide all they had left was a picture and so that started that was 2006 and so i went i experienced it i met so many survivors and um, i came back to the united states pretty changed Mm -hmm. like the political injustices for what these people, you know, they can't even self-actualize because they're trying to get food, water, and shelter, and then they're killed. And even if we do a ton as as a charitable work to feed them, if the government kills them, they die on an empty stomach. I mean, die on a full stomach, right? So mm-hmm. um, that led to a Rwandan hearing me say a lot of these things, and then one thing led to another, and I was introduced to Paul Recessa the man that Don Cheadle played in the mm-hmm. movie Hotel Rwanda. And um, I flew to New York and I met him and some of the ambassadors during that time to Burundi and, and Rwanda and heard a different story um, about what happened and decided, and then Paul asked me to work for him. So then I started to run his um, nonprofit and our focus was working with widows and orphans and then trying to get a truth and reconciliation commission similar to what had been done in South Africa with Desmond, mm-hmm. with Bishop Desmond Tutu. And so that lasted a couple of years. Um, 
it was kind of a scary time yeah for me um no we were that's we were we were doing similar things on on opposite sides of the country because i was doing something very similar in burma at the time so i had um yeah we went we made a, a documentary film on the genocide that was going on inside of burma with the korean people Mm-hmm. at the exact same time 2006 2007 mm-hmm. and but we were the group that funded us to go was called invisible children which had produced that amazing movie that was on oprah and everywhere about the children's child soldiers from rwanda so i don't know if you knew those guys but yeah so those guys actually funded our documentary film which was really cool okay i know uh-huh. of them and i know of the one leader that suffered from it yeah yeah jason Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, pretty incredible times, but yeah. And it, it's, um, those, those type of, um, trips and those type of engagements, you know, they, they definitely do change your life, you know, because you can't look at, at least for me, you know, I know I never looked at life the same when I came back, you know, I mean, we, because like you said, yeah. you know, like the, the stories are so, are so devastating, you know, and you come back and it's like, wait, doesn't, don't you guys realize that on the other, like this stuff is happening and it just goes over and you can't blame people, but it is what it is. You know, I mean, I had a, we had a lady who talked to us about the road, the film that we had is called the road, but it was because the Burmese army was building roads through the jungle. So they could basically take over and, you know, eradicate the Korean. And this one mother saying how she, was walking along the jungle to get to this displacement camp and they were get coming up to the road and all these soldiers start coming mm-hmm. and she has all these kids like six kids and her husband's already been killed and she has a baby mm-hmm. and the baby starts to cry mm-hmm. so her choice is i gotta cover my baby's mouth otherwise my other five kids are gonna die and she had to suffocate her child so to save her other five and you know what I mean like these stories and you're just sitting there going like you know you, you can't look at things the same after that type of thing you know no. um and I think you know not that's obviously an extreme but I do think it's important you know especially for a young generation and and, and you've got to travel you oh. have to get out of your bubble you know it's like you you have got to get out of this you know and see like whoa what is happening Absolutely. And um, actually in Rwanda was where Noble Adventures was born. I just didn't, I didn't have a name for it. And I thought it was too big and too impossible. And when I did tell people about my idea, um, I, I got so much pushback. But you know what, that's probably one of my biggest life's learnings is do not listen to the naysayers. Um, you know, when I wanted to backpack around the world for my honeymoon, like when we, we did, when people said, what are you doing for your honeymoon? I'd say, we're going to backpack, you know, what, what are you doing? You should spend that money on a house. You're going to be so far behind. And I'm like, I don't know whose timetable I was behind, but um, I absolutely just I kind of protected the idea like it was a baby. Like I didn't show it to people and say, what do you think of my child? You know, does it look good to you? I started to say, this is my baby and I am not telling anybody. Um, Or if if I decide to tell them and they say something negative, I'm just going to politely walk away. And you really do have to do that. You have to protect your dreams. 
Yeah. Um, oh, and yeah. so the same with Noble Adventures, but the talk was inside my own head, how it's not going to work. I yeah. talked to one person that's a high ranking CEO in a, in a large fortune 20 company. And um, when I talked about how important a culture is in an organization and how important team building and people having psychological safety in their organization. He said, oh, it's just a bunch of whitewash. You just need to go in and do your job and keep your mouth shut and blah, blah, blah. And it was so disheartening. I thought, okay, he's not my demographic. He's not my target audience. Don't talk to him about it anymore. And I learned that from that lesson years ago. And so I didn't let it stop me, but there was a lot of, maybe he's right. Maybe he has more information than I know. So it's kind of been a dance and a little bit of a struggle in some of the ways, but I really just kind of get quiet and go with my heart and know that I'm on the right path. Yeah. So this is actually a perfect opportunity. So just give everyone the, the quick snapshot on Noble Adventures. So what's it about? Um, what's its purpose? Right. So when I was going, I was in 2006, I was in Rwanda and I was going to, uh, we were going to a um, Akagera to go on a one day safari, kind of as a break from the work that we were doing on a mission project, building an orphanage. And um, I was sitting next to uh, an executive from Caterpillar. And I was talking about how excited I was to go visit my family that I had been providing some funds for leading up to this trip. And he was talking about going to see his village that Caterpillar was providing funds for. So long story short, we just basically talked about how little I could do. Yes, I was impacting a family of six. Um, he was impacting an entire village. They were funding a school. They were giving cows, which is life-giving, goats, um, all kinds of things, education, um, to this family. And I said, you know, it's the, the impact that business could have on the world. Like NGOs or nonprofits can't do it alone. Um, the public sector can't do it alone. The government can't do it alone. We all have to work together. And if business saw the opportunity and the impact they could make around the world, I think they would get on board and do something. Mm -hmm. And he basically was in agreement with all of that, but I just kind of sat there and thought, I don't know how to do this, right? So fast forward, I've backpacked around the world. I've worked with these refugees and that. Um, and then I went into executive coaching and I'm a former therapist as well. And then I went into social work. So I've done so many different things. Um, but one thing that I recognized is that cultures, you could transform in such a small period of time and doing these team building exercises and conference rooms and that work but they kind of die off once you're back into the environment and back into the setting. And so I created the idea that a noble adventure has three pillars. We go and we work on personal and professional development. Now personal is because you cannot be a leader and be unaware of yourself, you know, um, victim to all your triggers and that you have to have self-awareness. You have to have self-mastery. You've got to have the courage to work on yourself so that you can be the best leader you can be. So it's personal and professional development. The second pillar is not doing fake team building or development in a fake ballroom somewhere in Chicago, 
but it's actually going out and serving others and taking on that role as a servant leader and working side by side with people on a mission that is going to, or on a service project that's gonna have some impact, putting in a water supply, um, building a school, building an orphanage. And you know, it's just a day or two or three that we do the project, but at the same time, you recognize the shared humanity of the other, the people that we often don't get to meet, we just hear about. So, and also, as I know from my backpacking experience, going into a brand new environment where things aren't as comfortable, where you're not sure of the water source, where it's a new place and new people, it, it makes you change a little bit. It, it mm -hmm. makes you uncomfortable and it, it makes you kind of raw and open for change. And everything is transformational. And then the final piece is the adventure piece. So we do something that is specific to the location that we're in that is unlike anything else. So like in October, we're going to Mexico for uh, Dia de los Muertos, where the festival was born in the traditional city of Pazcuaro, and we're going out to the island of Genizio. And we're spending two days in that environment that is celebrating the lives of those who have gone before. So the whole entire week is about transformation and meaning and purpose we're going to examine your, the values of people. And so that was born in Rwanda when there was so much going on for the first mm -hmm. time. Some of us were seeing poverty and we didn't have any room to process what we were experiencing. We, some of us felt bad about what we were seeing. We had a lot of guilt about what we had versus what they had. And we processed this on our trip so that you come out richer, stronger, better, and you know what to do with the experience once you return to the United States. So that that's awesome. a noble adventure. And, yeah. And so is this, these are companies that will send leadership groups or what? Yeah. The ideal situation is to have an executive leadership team go because then each one of them is, is responsible for a department. And if they want to come back and go with their smaller team, that's fine. Um, the one that we have coming up is a couple of different people from one company. There's a couple of different people from another company. And so the unique one about this is that we're gonna do something called teaming. And it's really getting people to know each other quickly and becoming a unified team all at once. Um, and that is based on some work by a Harvard psychologist, Amy Edmondson, who also coined the term psychological safety. Nice, I love that. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us, you know, I always ask for some stories so that, you know, the audience can kind of get to know you a little bit, you know, um, and I love to start out with just some type of a memory, a funny, entertaining story, something that when you think back, you know, throughout your life, your career, whatever it is, um, that just you love to tell. Hmm. Well, I don't necessarily tell this to a lot of people, but I'm Perfect. here I am. And um now, a lot of people are going to hear this story. So, yes. um, so take me from social work, right? I'm taking children away from people and working really hard to reunify them. I was burnt out. And that's the 48 hours story, right? It was like kind of like when I realized I was burnt out when the cameras were on me and he said, you're burnt out. And it hit me and I welled up and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm really burnt. So when my husband said, what do you want to do? I said, quit everything, 
quit, sell, get rid of, let's leave. I don't want to just leave United uh, California. I want to leave the United States. I want to backpack around the world. So we did that. Well, my husband who had traveled a lot said, let's start out small. Like let's go somewhere small so you can get acclimated. I'd never been out of the United States. I said, no, we're going to go to Africa and I'm going to see the migration on the Serengeti. So I said, this is what we're doing. And this was 1997. So there's no internet and there were no cell phones, really. I mean, they have those ones that you plugged into your car, but yeah, yeah. they weren't what we have today. So fast forward, we make this around the world ticket where you can only have six stops. Our first stop is in Nairobi, Kenya. I didn't make any reservations because I wanted to be a free spirit. And so we land in Nairobi at midnight with no reservations, nowhere to go. I had never experienced a developing country's airport where there's one or two lights on and there's a lot of people standing around at midnight for no reason. Um, it was just bizarre. So I went through a period of culture shock and they also warned us that a war had just, a, it's such a small world, a genocide had just taken place in one of the neighboring countries and there were a lot of refugees and they were desperate and we needed to be very careful. Turns out years later that I worked for those very same people, right? Yeah. But they were the Hutu and the Tutsi. So um, then we decide we're gonna go on a camping safari and I'm having severe culture shock. So. The noises are really loud. I can't sleep at night. I can't go to the bathroom. I really can't eat. And I, I'm just a mess, right? I mean, imagine everything is shutting down and I'm like wired. And uh, we go on this camping safari. We're out in the middle of the game reserve and we're seeing elephants and I'm like, okay, finally, I'm understanding why I'm here. This is like what I'm looking for. And we just stop. And Nick, our driver says, okay, we are here. And I'm looking and I can see the elephants. And I said, we are where? And he said, we are here, we're sleeping here. And I was in a tent, right? I didn't do the, the whatever they're called where the bungalow and glamping and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was in a disgusting old mildewed tent with spider eggs were in it and everything. Oh, it was horrible. Get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, that very first night, I was terrified and it got black, like black, pitch black. And Nick and Nick, the other cook said, we're gonna go to sleep in the van to protect the food. So of course I'm going protect it from what, you know? And they're saying, well, Christina, it's just from the animals. And then all of a sudden we hear like feet coming. And so I, I'm doing the, like, what is coming? And it was three Maasai tribal men in the red with the beads and three in spears. And Nick says to me, these are your guards for the night. I said, where are we? What's going <laughs> to happen to me? And so one of the people on the trip was a doctor. We had, but he, they were Austrian, so we didn't speak the same language, but I knew he was a doctor. So I went over to him and I said, please, do you have any sleeping pills? And he says, no, go to the bar. And I said, what bar? And he pointed and there was a shack and the shack had this sign and it said bar. And you go inside the shack and there was some Maasai people and they had all this 
Tusker beer, which is a Kenyan <laughs> beer. And they were about this big. They were huge. Yeah, and yeah. I don't drink beer. I drink wine, but I don't drink beer. I said, give me two. Yeah. And so I took a cold pill and chugged two beers. Right. And I thought I am going to sleep. Well, it didn't, it wired me like, so my husband is sleeping, like sawing bricks, sound asleep. It's pitch black. My stomach is like, I'm nine months pregnant and I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like saying to him, you've got to wake up. You've got to help me. He's like, just go, just go out there. I'm like, I don't know what's out there. Like there's <laughs> elephants and I'm hearing hyenas, which if you've never heard them, they do this yeah. like thing. And I'm like, they are looking for food. I am food. I'm not going out there alone. And he's like, I'm not, you know, <laughs> nice husband. Yeah. He'd be out there now today. I wouldn't put up with it. But <laughs> then I said, Okay, so he's laying there, I'm laying there. And I remember that movie, Doc Hollywood with Michael J. Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, what did she do? She went out and she kind of peed to ward off the scent. <laughs> so I thought to myself, that's what I need to do. I'm not going in an outhouse that like, who knows what's in there. And so I got out. <laughs> I went all the way around the tents and I could hear my husband going, what are you, what, what are you doing? Because, you know, it was a start and stop, beep, yeah, beep, yeah. Beep, start and stop. So I got back in and I will tell you, that was the start of my trip. I got in, I was like, I did it. I went to the bathroom. I saved our lives. I didn't sleep the rest of the night, but I saved our lives. Yeah. Oh yeah. In my mind. So then fast forward to we separated with the Austrian couple and we traveled for like four more months and they said, come to Austria when you get here. So we met them in Innsbruck. And the first thing Dieter said to me, he walked up to me and goes, Christina, we needed you in Tanzania. We almost died. We needed you to pee around the tent. And then he went on and told us what had happened with him. But that is like my victory story. Oh, yeah. That, you know, I had to overcome yeah. So many fears to do that. And many, many, many more things happened, of course, but, but that was a big victory for me, you know, I, and I, so I had to face my fears and pee around the tent. <laughs> so, oh, that's so good. I isn't that it. a wonderful female executive story? <laughs> yes. Perfect. I got, Thanks. we got the trailer for the episodes. That's, that's done. right. We that's got right. it. Yeah. I had a, I remember um when we were filming in in burma we, we met up with this guy rocky who was like the head of their military and yeah. um and he went to college in the states so he spoke english which was awesome because a lot of people didn't speak english right and so we were like reveling in him and we were telling him stories and we we're walking on this hillside pretty close to where some of the fighting was and um and he's like thank you guys so much and we have this like kind of iconic picture of all of us with cameras and mics and, and we're walking we're all in like camo gear and and i remember we're all young kids you know in our 20s no caution of any idea of how serious it is and i remember just asking him like or someone asked him well what what would happen if the burmese soldiers came over the hill and got us you know and he just so matter of fact he just looks at us he's like oh well you know they'd kill you they'd yeah. probably torture me and then just keeps walking <laughs> and we were like wait what? Exactly. hold on back it up a little bit you know like hold on wait what was that yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, they'd kill you real quick. And we're like, oh, my God. And it was like, wait a minute. Okay. This got a little more serious yeah. than I had uh, anticipated. But 
you know, like you said, you just, you get that confidence rolling and you kind of get, you know, get your traveling feet under and you just got to go, you know, you got to go. Yeah. That is awesome. I love that story. So, so obviously, like you said, you've had a lot of different, um, paths and stopways along your career that kind of got you to, you know, launching Noble Adventures. Um, so tell me, you know, through all those journeys, is there a specific story that, that you have around a major failure or a very hard time and, and kind of how you got through it? Yeah, I, um, in between the foundation in Rwanda and, um, I don't even know, oh, moving to California because I'm originally from Chicago area. Um, I was living back in my little hometown, which was really different after having seen the world and done everything that I had done. Um, we moved back in order to um, build a house, flip it, and then move somewhere else with our pot of gold. Well, I proceeded to have three boys right after another, like within four years. And there was no moving at that point. And so um, I found a job near my home and it was, um, I became a coalition leader in our small town, but I had to work with the 12 different sectors of our town to bring some anti-substance abuse initiatives to the community. We had a big heroin problem. And um, I took on this role with gusto as I always do, as if it were my own and my own baby. And I just started to run it. And what, what conspired was the current board who were passionate people, no one was really educated um, formally. And, um, and I had been all over the world and they really hadn't left the town. And so there was a lot of angst and uh, I don't know the word, the nice word. Um, they didn't really like me, let's just say that. Um, I came on too strong and um, it was a really hard uphill battle. I was hired by the um, organization outside of our town that had been given the grant to do the grant. And I worked really well with those people. Well, then it became them against us. And they literally called me names. Um, they... Uh, ransacked my office, like they knocked over shelves. Wow. Um, they stole the signs. They, um, I went to approach one of the people to say, what is going on? Like, how is it getting to be this bad? I knew things were getting bad when they would walk out of meetings. Um, and I approached her and she went and got the police and said I was harassing her. And it got very, very crazy. And at the same time, I had lost my father suddenly, unexpectedly. And my, my, my budget director, it was she and I running this whole office, the budget director, her daughter was killed. Her, her granddaughter, nine-year-old granddaughter was hit by a semi oh, on geez. a country road and killed. And it was tragic. And so we were both suffering, plus how bad a failure we were doing with this organization. And it was really, really, really terrible. 
um, that was probably one of the lowest points in my professional life because I'd always been very successful. And, um, you know, I really needed to have a come to Jesus with our board and figure things out. And the board resigned, the entire board resigned. Um, and so the actually the city sector leaders really enjoyed working with me and liked me because they felt like I was getting things done. Mm -hmm. And then the coalition had to vote a new board in and we had mediators come in and they voted a new board in. And then um, eventually I had to move to California for my husband's job. And so I quit the position and I left. And then since that time, it's really interesting. My coworker, she said, Christina, we didn't love them enough. And I said, love them. Like, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to do. Yeah. And she, she explained to me that that's what was lacking is was love and respect. We, we thought we were being respectful, but they expected us to give permission to get permission for us to do what we were putting into place. And we didn't do that because it made sense to us. And so that was like the hardest time in my professional life. And I actually created a method of working with people. I call it the calm method. And I created it based on that very, very bad experience. And the calm is an acronym, but the L is language and love. And it is watch your language, watch how you speak to people, watch whether you're being condescending or curious. Are you asking condescending questions because you already know you have the answer? Or are you asking them because you genuinely want to engage with this person and hear what they have to say? And if you are coming from a place of love, then we know the way that you're going to ask the questions. And we know that you are looking at that person as a human being and that we have a shared humanity. And I was so blown away by their initial reaction to me. Like one of them didn't even show up for the interview because apparently I grew up with her. I don't remember her, but I grew up with her and I was mean when we were in kindergarten or first grade. I'm not kidding you. And I was mean to her then. And so she had never liked me. And it felt so middle school to me that I thought, okay, I apologize, but we're adults now. And you know, move on to that. So long story short, after I had moved to California, I actually went back to visit and one person came to me and apologized and said, we were totally wrong. And I basically said, no, I was wrong in my initial reaction. I got a, a letter from another, from one of the men on the board who said, you were right. We were petty. We were childish. We did this. We just couldn't see beyond our own, like, this is our, jo our yeah, job. Yeah. And so that was a big learning experience for me. It was really, really painful. And me, the supervisor and the budget director, still, when we get together, it's kind of like war. You know, we talk about the war. We talk about yeah. the battle. We talk about what we went through and what we learned and no, how bad that's... it was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really... I don't want to say love the story. I don't love hearing about that. But what I do love is, you know, that you came out of it and, you know, we're able to recognize and get that feedback mm -hmm. and then actually do something productive. Right. Right. Because I think that's, you know, the part of business that it just doesn't get talked about enough, you know, which is how important failures are. You know, we, we don't, 
learn as much from successes. It's like, oh, that worked cool. And you know, you keep going, but it's when something fails or something doesn't work is really when you have to pause, take a step back, look inward, right? Like, well, what did I do? What, you know, cause we, we typically want to just blame others or, well, it wasn't my fault or it was the good system. But the reality is no matter what, even if it wasn't your fault, like we can always learn and then figure out like, how, how could I avoid this the next time? You know? And, and I, I can remember the first time we got I was working for a company and we were acquired by another big company. And I, and I, for the first time in almost a decade, I had a new boss, you know, like in like eight years. And I was like, Oh, this is weird. And, and she sat me down before we ever talked about anything. And she just, you know, she slid to me this book, this emotional intelligence 2.0. If you've read that one, great book. Right. And said, Hey, before we talk about, you know, where we want to go, how you want to be led, all this stuff, go through this, take the assessment, you know, go through it. Then we'll come back and talk. And it was great because as I'm reading it, I even kept thinking like, I'm pretty good at this. Like I'm pretty emotionally intelligent, you know? And then I got my assessment and I think I scored like in the sixties or something, which isn't that great. And then went through the whole book, really put a bunch of things in action where I realized like, okay, I'm saying this, or I'm doing this or, you know, things. And in a matter of, I think 90 days, my score went up to like 90, like just being very hypersensitive to how I'm being perceived at all times. And, and realizing you obviously we're intentional too to make yeah yeah I, want, I mean i wanted to get better at it i was like right. shoot i don't want people to think i'm a jerk or think i'm not paying attention or think i'm condescending or you know i was always you know coming up in sales it was like confidence is key you got to be confident right like in the sale and the meetings and the whatever but if that spills over to cocky or you know everything or you're not really listening then you lose all of it. Anything that you're gaining from it, you lost, you know? And, and that was like this balance I remember I had to learn, you know? And it was like, okay, cool. And, and when you did those assessments, like the blind assessments, that was what really got me was that some of the people that worked for me, you know, were saying, ah, bro, come, come across this way sometimes. And I remember being like devastated, couldn't sleep, stay up all night thinking about like, oh my God, have I, how, how have I been doing this? Or I've been hurting people's feelings, you know, not intentionally, mm -hmm. but just it rattled me, you know? But to your point, then to come out of it and be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to let this happen again. And I always tell people the number one thing you can do in any communication uh, of any kind is control your tact. You control how the message comes out. You know, no one controls that, but you. So, you know, and that's why I'm a huge fan of always get on the phone or get on a zoom as opposed to a text or an email, because that's then you do you lose the opportunity to have tact or to have, you know, to to make sure you're being interpreted like you want to. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Because tact tact will ruin things super quick. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me and the listeners, you know, those are obviously it's a struggle, right? But but as you've, you know, done all these different things and and eventually, you know, launched Noble Adventures, what what's a story that you can remember that it was a moment when you were like, wow, I'm having some success like this. Mm -hmm. This feels great. You know, is there any story that sticks out? Yeah, it's actually a recent story. So, um, you know, I on my own dime, right? I flew to Honduras to build up a project partner. I had a project and I needed the partnership and I needed to see the place and experience the place and feel the place. So I went to Honduras, did all the work around that. Then a month later, I flew to Mexico, did a service project, got to know the people, the place, all of that, and was so excited to launch the trip. And then COVID hit. And 
I was devastated because I was like, okay, we're finally moving forward. We're finally getting some traction. And Honduras was tough too, because, you know, every time you turned on the TV, there were caravans from Honduras coming and who's going to go. And I got people to go and everybody was excited to go. And then COVID hit. And I, I thought to myself, okay, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, um, I can't keep this really difficult business afloat with all these things against me. I never knew what country was going to do what next and where we'd be warring. And, you know, and so I got very down and I, I, I started to go, okay, I need to reinvent myself and do all kinds of marketing. And I was still coaching and that was going well, but it, it I'm good at it and I enjoy it. I really enjoy transforming people and showing care and all that, you know, think of the stuffed animals. That's how I feel about my, my coaches and my clients. But I really wanted to start to break down barriers of bias and, you know, our unconscious bias and our fear of the other and all these things that have stirred the pot socially in our, in our world. And, um, I just felt trapped that I couldn't do that. And so I actually was having dinner with her nanny one night and we were talking about different things and different projects. And I said to him, Hey, how would you like to do this and this and this? And he says, no, I don't really want to do that. Like life's too short. I don't need that. I'm not going to do it. And I said, well, to be honest, I don't really want to do it either. What I really want to do is, and I explained noble adventures and I said, my heart just beats when I think about it. And he said, now that's something I would do. And I said, what do you mean? What, what will you do? And he said, I would love to partner with you on that. I would love to do this. This is incredible. You know, I'm former CEO of a big company. I would do this. There are people that could be helped by this. And that was one of the biggest boosts to my success and to my, um, my confidence in, in mm -hmm. the fact that this was gonna work. And since then we have just skyrocketed. And um, I don't know what it really was that we have skyrocketed. I think it's just that there's a divine timing in everything. I'm a firm mm -hmm. believer in that and the time is right. And I think our world is ripe for this kind of change. I think we're becoming a more conscious world. I think all of the stuff that we've been through over the last few years is an awakening and an opportunity for us to grow and change and really recognize, you know, the, the pandemic, the pandemic showed us that we are really borderless mm -hmm. and that we are one big system and we are one big planet and that we are all in this together. And I think that um, companies are starting to recognize it's not about performance, it's about people. And yeah. it's not about hierarchies, it's about working together in collaborations. And parents, I think, have found a new respect for teachers because yeah. they realize <laughs> it's not easy to teach. You know, you got to say the right things to your kids. And yeah. so this has been a huge paradigm shift for the whole world, and it just feels very ripe. And so I'm I'm thrilled and I'm excited about the future and this whole, as bad as the pandemic has been in the world. And I'm a Rotarian and I run an, a, 
I am the international service director for 36 clubs. So I see projects all over the world, especially India, that's really been hit hard by COVID. In our country, you know, half a million people died. Mm -hmm. So there's, but there has been a few positives and those are what I'm looking at is that I think the world's ready. You know, I think yeah. that we're on the path to healing. So no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and uh, yeah, that's why, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast, you know, when, when her nanny reached out about what you do, you know, because I think that, I think it's not just people, but it, yeah, I think the, the, the cutting edge and the great organizations of the world are understanding that culture is, you know, it's, it's more than just checking off some box that, yeah, we did a bowling night or what, you know, it's like, it's, if you want true, meaningful relationships and a deep culture of understanding and support and love, like, you know, you've got to do things that allow people to get those bonds close, you know? Yes. And I think, you know, I had a podcast last month that I did. I did a talk on my, um, my belief, which is that experiential giving is the best thing that companies can do, which is, Absolutely. it's not just, donating a check to, you know, whatever it's, it's basically, Hey, how can I provide my customers an opportunity to, to purchase or engage or do something that then has this other thing? Hey, then we donate to foster kids. And then because of the donation, it's actually employees that go, and then they're the ones giving the beds. So then they feel empowered and great. You know, it's like this, this, this circle where everybody wins and elevates, you know, everybody and, elevates. and those things don't just happen with some donation or something, you know, like you said, you got to get out of the office. You got to go to the event. You know I mean? I've been a part of so many giving events in my life and, and I can remember all of them. Yeah. Every house I built in Mexico or every, you know, food bank I went to work. Why? Because those things is what actually makes our hearts tick. You know, Absolutely. doing things for others is what is really fulfilling, right? Like I like giving gifts to my kids at Christmas way more than I like getting a gift, you know? Right. And I think as adults, we start to understand that, you know, but there's just a lot of companies, I think they just haven't quite grasped it. Um, but it's definitely, I think, coming. Well, and those companies that have to, you know, millennials are really focused on purpose and meaning and wanting companies that do well in the world, right? And so not only will you retain your employees longer when you give them these kinds of experiential de leadership development kind of trips, um, it's not just a trip to Hawaii, but it's a it, it's an experiential development trip. Mm -hmm. And it's not a gift, uh, like a reward, it is an expectation that I'm going to put you in an environment and I want you to be the best person that you can be to come back and have that kind of energy be good for the company, right? But it's also um, a great retention, but it's also an attractive uh, company that does those kinds of things for their employees. And I've heard, you know, um, with the unicorns, a unicorn is somebody that can code and develop and design stuff that they also have the security clearance so that it can work for the government and do all these heavy duty projects. And those people are really hard to find. I've heard Apple and Google give trips to private islands and stuff to get them to sign and be part of their company. Yeah. And so it really does make you stand out as a company, as somebody that does really extraordinary things and goes beyond the expectation 
to develop their people and to care about their people and their people's lives and well-being. Yeah. And that's what this is about. Love you know, it. And we have trips all over the world coming. I mean, my husband and I are going to Bali in a few months. We're going to go to Nepal, to India, to Uganda, to Honduras. Um, uh, I just had dinner with partners for Peru. We have incredible trips coming up and there's so much need in the world. And there's so many people that are so thankful for any help you can give, right? So it really is noble to work on yourself to work for others and, you know, then come together and bond and have fun doing it. You'll never, they'll be friends for life. No, know? absolutely. I love the idea of combining, you know, multiple executive teams too, because there's something about, you know, getting peer to peer feedback from someone who, you know, you don't know, and they don't have any, you know, objective, you know, other than, Hey, you help me. I help you. Let's learn. Right. You know, there's just something magical about that, you know? So yeah. And, and I know we're getting way over time here, but the two last things. So one is, you know, this season, season two of this podcast is, you know, it's just really highlighting different female executives and, and the stories so far have been great. And I know we talked before the podcast about, you know, you've had some of the traditional experiences and challenges that, you know, as a lot of females coming up in different worlds and, and we didn't want to focus on the negative, you know, but I would ask you, you know, what are some advice, you know, if, if, if you've got, you know, if you're, if we've got people listening on all over the place, you know, and you said, Hey, you know what, I'm female, I'm getting out of college or I'm looking to get into a different career. And you know, I want to be a CEO one day, you know, like what, what would be some advice you would give to that person? Well, for somebody coming out of college, um, especially I can say pretty practical, a couple of things that is very practical. Um, sometimes when we're anxious, Women can talk higher and um, inflect their voices up. Like, what do you think? Kind of questioning. And it comes off as you're questioning. You're looking to somebody else to validate your ideas or experiences. So make sure, I mean, this is really kind of practical. Lower your voice, take a deep breath and don't swing up your voice as if asking a question. Make sure that you're firmly rooted in your own sense of self and your own voice and end your sentences with a period and not a question mark. That, that whole experience of doing that, and even if you need to practice that in the mirror, can really transform somebody else's perception of you. And when you hear yourself be able to do that, it can transform your perception of yourself stand in your power. Um, there's that, I think Amy Cuddy wrote about starfish position, spreading your arms and legs as far and wide as possible makes you feel more powerful. Do that for a minute before you go into an environment. Don't shrink down, but stand and hold your ground. I remember when I was younger, I didn't know anything and I was just quiet. And when I finally got comfortable, somebody said, my God, you've grown. And I thought, I haven't changed at all. But what has changed is my confidence in what I already know is coming forward because I'm articulating more. Mm. But it's not like I didn't have that wisdom before. I wasn't expressing it. Mm. So that is probably one thing. Also, in the same vein, when you're sitting with a group of three or four men 
and you're all talking and somebody says, who's going to take notes? Don't be the one that takes the notes because you will get looked at. You, you will get looked at. Don't take the notes. Look right back at them. Like, are you going to do it? Don't, don't make the expectation that it's going to be you. And don't, don't be too nice because we're very, we're raised, we're socialized as women to take care of people and to be very self-sacrificing and self-serving. If you love taking notes, by all means, take the notes. If you don't want to, and you're going to be angry and resentful about it, absolutely do not because that energy will come off. Mm-hmm. So it's very, what I'm saying is very behavioral. <clears throat> yeah. um, and it's just kind of get to know who you are and who you want to be and look for success. Somebody said success leaves clues. Emulate who you want to be. I very often say, what would Oprah do? Because I so respect her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I do. Um, and just be confident. I, I guess that's as good as I can give. And it doesn't really have anything to do with men indirectly because men are in, in the game too. Men have insecurities just as much as we do. But like one of the things that you said when you're selling, right? You've got to be confident. But the thing about selling to me is um, it's confidence, but I couldn't sell anything. I couldn't sell wet matches. I have people I know that could sell wet matches. I just couldn't do that, right? So make sure you're there, you're relational in your selling, that you're mm-hmm. confident, but the confidence is coming from somewhere deep within and not cocky or arrogant or any of those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Love it. So last thing is, you know, just take a second to let people know like, hey, if, if, they're part of some business out there and they're going like, you know what? Yes. Like I, we need this. <laughs> we need to go on a trip. We need to do yep. something that's a kind of a life changing culture defining trip. So how do people get in touch with you? How do they, how do they do it? I think the best place would be to, um, well, I was going to say, call me. <laughs> I'll flash call the me. On the screen. Yeah. Um, go on the website. It's noble dash adventures.com. And every, everywhere you look, there's contact me, but what is, um, because I would want to have a conversation with you and I want to know what it is you are wanting because all of our trips are customizable. If you have, let's say you're a multinational and you're moving into, um, maybe the South American market, we could go to Costa Rica. We could go to Honduras. We could go to Belize anywhere that you feel safe and comfortable any kind of project you're working on. If you're a water company, we could do a water project. Like I said, I have partners all over the world. And, or, you know, you're an education company and you wanna do something with children. Everything and anything can be customizable. The days, the number, and then we wanna make sure that your objectives and your outcomes are met. And so this whole journey can be designed for you and for your team. And we will thrive on that kind of a, of an arrangement and a setup. And that's what we're here for. We really want to make it transformational. What it would take you six to seven months to do with constant repeats, meetings and that we can do in a week. And then we can come back in, in three months, six months and have touch points to make sure that the learning is sustainable. 
sustainability is a huge factor for me because I don't want to be um, another binder on the shelf. Um, somebody said that's just shelf help instead of self-help, but you yeah. know, we've had all these binders of things that we've gone through, gone through and we don't even remember them. Yeah. We want you to remember this. You will design a token, a kind of a, um, a totem, not a token, a totem that has some meaning for you and your company and every person gets that totem to sit on their desk or sit at their, in their home so that they are remembering what is the chief takeaway from this experience. And I think that the teams that go together will stay close forever. Nice. So, I love it. And any problems that we have come up, that's where the psychological safety comes in. That's what we're hoping for is that those challenges reveal what is underneath and we work through it there. <clears throat> so that's kind of huge. You know, you're in a yeah. different environment. You know, you're not going to go back to your offices and close the door. You got to still face that person the next day. And it's uncomfortable sometimes, and it doesn't need to be uncomfortable. So just know this is available to you. You've got a psychologist, a licensed therapist, and a you know, world-class CEO guiding you through all of this. You know, you're going to be in excellent hands. No, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Christina. This was an awesome interview. I, I knew it was going to be, me. but you know, you never know. You what? I said, I knew it was going to be great, but you never know, you know, you so. never know. And never I hope, know. I hope to get to take you on a noble adventure. Yes. That would be awesome. Wouldn't it? I mean, I don't care what I have to do. I'll, I'll hide in your suitcase. You know, That's it doesn't right. matter. That's okay. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really look forward to people hearing this and I appreciate so much you coming on the show. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Christina.